Hey, what's up? It's Gustavo Ariano, and I've got a special treat for you today. Earlier this week, the LA Times launched a new podcast called Foretold, and we're sharing the first episode with you here today. The series is hosted by Faith Binyu and follows a California-based Romani fortune teller as she makes the decision to leave her tight-knit community. It's a gripping story with rabbit holes and historical deep dives along the way. To keep up with future episodes, follow Foretold wherever you get your podcasts and check back every Tuesday morning. Enjoy episode one. Episode one, the G word. Where I live in Southern California, psychic shops are practically as plentiful as coffee shops. They're a part of the landscape. The neon sign outlining the palm of a hand, promising to tell your fortune or prophesying a long life. I know people who have regular appointments with their psychic. It's the kind of thing you can drop in casual conversation and no one bats an eye. And I can understand why. People want security. They want to know what the future will hold. And whether through tarot cards or a crystal ball, the fortune teller will hint at how your story will play out. Let me say up front that I don't know how this tale will play out or how this will end. Because in this story, the fortune teller came to me. I mean, at the time, I felt like, yeah, like I'm, you know, snitching because whatever. Like, I I was ashamed for reaching out to you. Now I don't really view it that way. I feel like I'm telling my story. But I never thought in a million years it would turn into what it is now. My name is Faith Pinu, and I'm a reporter at the Los Angeles Times. But back in October 2019, I was working at a small community newspaper in Orange County called The Daily Pilot. And that's where I first got a call from Paulina Stevens. I don't have a recording of that first call. I wish I had known to record. I tried to keep track in a messy word doc, but she was going a mile a minute. A torrent of words and accusations. Arranged marriages being trained to manipulate people, something about not being allowed to be American. But she emphasized over and over that that was all behind her now. Paulina told me that from the time she was a child, she was told she would be a fortune teller and that she came from a whole family of fortune tellers. I'm not going to lie. I had never been inside a fortune telling shop. So I did some Googling. And if you look for news about fortune tellers, a whole bunch of them go something like this. A local woman is out $20,000 after falling for an elaborate psychic reading scam. The fortune tellers would tell them that they had curses, and that was why these bad things were happening to them. Self-proclaimed psychic Gina Marks busted at Miami International Airport. She was arrested just minutes before she was sent to board to Europe. I thought maybe this was the kind of story Paulina was trying to tip me off to. But something in the franticness of her voice made me feel like there was something different going on here. And then Paulina mentioned something that made my ears perk up. It was a warning about a psychic shop in Orange County. A psychic shop she said she'd escaped. I didn't know what that meant. So I suggested we meet up in person at a local cafe. I'm a little nervous. I'm sorry for like, that's okay. I don't know. I'm like kind of nervous, but I'm okay. okay. Take your time, whatever... Paulina looked younger than I expected, around my age. At the time, she was 24 and I was almost 23. 
Paulina had a round face and black bangs, and she was short like me, too, around five feet tall. We ordered tea and sat down together. I put my phone on the table between us and hit record. And then, because I didn't really know how to kick things off, I basically just asked her a terrible first date question. So, yeah, I think it's probably easiest to just to start all the way back. So, like, where did you grow up? That far. Who's your family? Literally, like, it sounds like this is really entrenched, right? It is, yeah. So... All right, so all the way back, um, I was born in L.A. Listen, people call reporters all the time with salacious tips. But when Paulina started talking, I felt like I was drinking from a fire hose. My parents are also related, just so you know. Paulina said it was common in her culture for cousins to marry. She said that she herself had been arranged to marry a distant cousin. 12, it's like you're supposed to know who you're getting married to, you know? That's like you're going through puberty. Like, I was getting too old. Paulina said that her parents shielded her from outsiders. It's just stupid. They hate outsiders. So any kind of outsiders was a big, like, no-no. And then she was pulled out of school entirely at 12 years old. I was actually lucky. Like, I got to go to school up to sixth grade. That was like... The main thrust of Paulina's education, from what I was gathering, was how to become a fortune teller. So basically, the same time kids would read or write, they start learning like how to read tarot cards. And, um, and besides reading cards, she had to learn how to be a wife and mother. If girls turn 18 and they're not married, it's like it's, people look down on it. Like, oh, there's something wrong with her. Like, you know. Keep in mind, I was a rookie journalist, and I was having a hard time keeping up. Yeah, what, what happens? What does it mean to be engaged at 13? Is there a proposal? Is it someone tells you you're engaged? Or what is the actual... At the time, I was used to writing stories on city council meetings and town art shows. So Paulina's story, it was totally out of my wheelhouse. This seemed like a massive story with, like, numerous claims to investigate. I couldn't quite tell how I'd begin to write about them. It seemed too big. Because ultimately... Paulina kept blaming her culture, her culture, her culture. Um, and if you disobey us, then you disobey your culture. You disobey your father, you bring shame. And you only marry within the culture. You only socialize within the culture. And you certainly only trust people within the culture. And Paulina's culture is Romani. I don't think I had ever even heard the word Romani before. And that's because Romani people are often known by another name. You know, a gypsy. You're not going to hear me throwing around the G word on this podcast, because for many in the community, it's a slur, not for outsiders like me to use. But at the time, I had no idea, because even a pop star like Shakira casually throws around the G word. It's set against this catchy, poppy backdrop, like something you'd instinctively hum along to. If you weren't paying attention, you'd never notice the lyrics are actually overtly offensive. Because I'm a gypsy. Once I started noticing it, I couldn't stop seeing the G word everywhere, almost like a conspiracy. In pop culture, Paulina's people are usually seen as thieves. Like in the 1960s sitcom, The Andy Griffith Show, Sheriff Andy Taylor is a picture-perfect example of morality and justice. And when his son has a question... Can gypsies do any magic at all? Yes, they can. They can take out a pair of worthless earrings, show them to your Aunt B, and make $12 and a half disappear like nothing. The tone of Andy's voice is so reasonable. 
even while casting an entire ethnic group as swindlers. And the G word is actually the root of the word gypped, like ripping someone off. And that pejorative is so mainstream that even Michelle Obama said it. But I re- what I realized was that I got gypped on that front because when you are working a professional... It is so wild to me that the general population knows an entire ethnic group by what is, for outsiders, a slur. I had seen it on clothing brands and restaurant menus, surfboards and tea bags. It's become a shorthand for something nomadic, wild, deceitful, romantic, something exotic, a style anyone could put on and wear like a costume. And there's one stereotype that always comes up, that Romani people are fortune tellers. I am Zoltar, the great gypsy, and I can see your fortune. I was walking along the Venice Beach boardwalk recently when I found a Zoltar machine, which is basically an animatronic fortune teller in a box. And he's wearing a turban. It's kind of like uh, all of the stereotypes you would expect to see all wrapped into one. He's even got, I think, like a crystal ball that's glowing. And then there's just all kinds of tarot cards scattered around his table. But the thing was, Paulina and her family were actually fortune tellers. Her mom ran a psychic shop and gave daily readings to locals and tourists. Paulina and her sisters helped too. And while Paulina told me about her family and their history, she also seemed to be fitting into those very stereotypes. Like, the rule is no stealing, only scamming. (laughs) Because people give you stuff, so it's not considered stealing. Paulina seemed to be telling me, yes, everything you Googled was true. Fortune-telling is a scam. I And I am a scam artist, you know, born and bred. That's what I'm telling you. I remember the exact moment she said that in the cafe. A scam artist, born and bred. Paulina kept plowing ahead, talking away. Well, I just looked at her like, what? You know, you're sitting here with a reporter. Are you turning yourself in? I didn't know what to think. And honestly, it didn't seem like Paulina did either. Gypsies have a bad rep, um, and it, they should, I think. I don't know. Not all of them. Even though the specifics of Paulina's story were foreign to me, I have to admit, I found myself relating to her. Because I grew up in a restrictive evangelical community on the East Coast. So things like having to wear certain clothes or filling certain gender norms, distrusting outsiders, those were things I could wrap my head around. And why I could understand when Paulina told me she had chosen to leave. Because when I left, I had no education, had two kids, no driver's license, okay, no car. You know what I'm saying? I had nothing, 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 nothing. The franticness in Paulina's voice suddenly made sense. It was the sound of someone stepping out of one world and into another, questioning everything she's ever learned and feeling out who she might like to become apart from it all. I know from experience that the initial transition from one world to another can make you resent everything you came from and how hard it is to leave it all behind. I figured out my exit plan for one year, you know, back and forth, one year. Should I go? Should I stay? Should I go? How am I going to do this? I constantly, like, didn't know what to do, didn't know how to execute it. And I want to be the person to be like, if you are thinking about leaving, you can. Like, it's possible. And this was certainly part of why Paulina said she had come to me. But it wasn't just to tell her life story. 
the real reason Paulina reached out to me was she needed help. I'm Faith Pinu. From the Los Angeles Times, this is Foretold. After that first meeting with Paulina in the cafe in 2019, I had a feeling we'd just scratched the surface of her story. She had given me the highlight reel of all the most salacious things that would intrigue a journalist. And like, okay, I'll admit, I took the bait. Clearly, there was something to cover here. Among all of Paulina's various claims about arranged marriages and scamming and child labor. But as we finished our cups of tea, it finally emerged the real reason Paulina had decided to get in touch with me. Paulina has two little girls, and when she left her community, she was at risk of losing them. She was terrified her family would leave with the kids, which had happened once before. Like, I'm not losing my kids again, so everyone can disown. Paulina said she didn't know where her girls were for a whole month. It was um, the most terrifying thing I've ever been through in my life. The most scariest job. And now she was terrified that her kids would get whisked away somewhere. Paulina told me she was so concerned she was teaching her daughters how to say I've been kidnapped in Spanish in case they were taken over the border to Mexico, which I know now never actually happened. I have to teach my five-year-old, you know, that you come back on Sundays at five and if anything changes and mom doesn't tell you, then you need to tell somebody that you've been kidnapped. To fight to keep her daughters, Paulina did the number one thing people in her culture were taught not to do. She turned to the outside world. She took her case to the American legal system, and her custody hearing was coming soon. What are the dates in January? Sixth and seventh. Yeah. Rome 813, if you want to be there. I do want to be there. Yeah. Can you testify for me? No, I can't. I know. I was intrigued. So three months later, I followed her to court. It was January 2020 at the Harbor Justice Center in Newport Beach. Paulina had been waiting for this hearing for over six months. It was meant to decide once and for all if Paulina would be legally entitled to her children. I wasn't allowed to bring a recorder into the courtroom, but as it turns out, I didn't really need to. Most of the action happened just outside the courtroom anyway. While the lawyers conferenced inside, everyone else waited in the hallway. Well, hopefully this makes them quick and maybe we can do something. Paulina was dressed up in heels and a blazer, and I remember her being really jittery. I waited with her on one side of a giant staircase that split the hallway in half. On the other side of the staircase were a few members of the community Paulina had left behind. The staircase was large enough to mostly block them, but from what I could see, it was a small group of men. Fathers, brothers, uncles, no women. Yeah, there's no women at all. It's just the women are not allowed in the court. Why are women not allowed in court? But it's a, it's a whole group of them. But those men aren't, because men are like the king. You understand? And if a woman shows up in the courtroom, it's like too, the woman has too much power, and it's like embarrassing. From what I could see while peering at them around the staircase, the men were standing in a tight huddle by the building's north entrance with their backs turned toward us. One or two of them were dressed in tracksuits. There was just this nervous energy hanging in the air around them. 
It's a bunch of men against three women. The three women were on my side of the staircase. Paulina, her quiet younger sister, Nicole, and a woman in her 40s with bright teal hair. Her name was Gina. They're using everything. They have nothing against her, and we have everything against them. So they might... Right away, I could see Gina is a character. And not just because of the teal hair. It was in the way she boldly walked over to the other side of the staircase to size up the huddle of men, before coming back to Paulina and standing over her like some sort of mother hen. Gina was amping her up as they ran through Paulina's case. Just so you know, I filed the emergency quarter. I got physical, um, temporary, sold. Oh, so you filed an emergency and they gave it to you? Yeah. That's why they keep filing emergencies. They keep taking little cheap files to work with us. Gina and Paulina talked like they'd known each other for years. But it turned out this was only the second time they'd ever met in person. I learned that Gina had left the Romani community herself back in the early 90s, before Paulina was even born. Gina had gotten pregnant with a non-Romani man and fled before her family found out. So for Gina, it was simple. There was no custody battle, no question of what it meant to leave the culture. Gina had severed ties entirely. We're households. Yeah, and so then um, they turned over the kids and then it was like... Paulina had asked Gina for help. That's why Gina was here. She had flown in from San Jose to show Paulina she had someone in her corner, that it was possible to leave. We're just waiting on the order. It turns out this trial had been a bit of a dud. Or at least, it was very anticlimactic. It was mostly for the lawyers to convene about when to reschedule and have the next hearing. You guys are free to go. But I still didn't understand what was so complicated about the whole situation. Like... How much different could this be from most normal custody cases? Um, okay, so today was going to be a trial, but then it was continued because um, why? Right, yeah, it was continued primarily because Mr. That's Paulina's lawyer. When I asked him what was up, he basically said that the opposing lawyer was new to the case and she needed more time to prepare, especially because she was representing people who didn't want to go to court in the first place. When she first hired me, they came in and the elders were... Just very, very loud and very much in, in animated voices saying, take this out of court. We're a loving family. We'll agree to anything. Just no court, no court. And so it got to a point where it was very tense and I had to basically say, look, I, I can't help you guys here. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That sounds, okay, cool. Um, okay, I think those are all the questions I have up to this point because yeah. essentially the goal is to get... Those were not all the questions I had. But I felt like I was in a whirlwind in the middle of that courthouse hallway, just sort of dazed and confused. Like, what kind of story was this? And did I even know how to write it? I still didn't know where to start. So I decided to turn next to the person who seemed most accessible, most fired up and ready to talk about this world, Gina. Look, I lived in the culture all my life. You don't need any more expert than that. Paulina and I are the expert witnesses. We lived the culture. We both didn't go to school. Away from the courthouse in her noisy hotel lobby, Gina told me that at the crux of Paulina's custody case was education. The girls won't go to school if they live with their father. It's a guarantee. And I know that the... I just want to make a small note here. Gina had never met their father. But anyway, Gina said she herself had been taken out of school around 11 or 12. She said she worried the judge wouldn't understand just how common it is for Romani kids to leave school early. That for girls like her and Paulina, it wasn't so much a choice as an inevitability. 
Gina was ready to testify. Number two, in the gypsy culture, girls don't go to school for very long because their primary existence is learning how to take care of a husband and get married at a very young age. Schooling, education is not even on the last thing of our list. It's not on the list. As I talked to Gina, she seemed to be confirming so much, like the lack of schooling, but also this expectation to get married young and keep outsiders at a distance. We're taught non-gypsies are beneath us. And so you separate yourself. So when you get a little older, you believe they're beneath you. So it's easier to scam and steal from them. And then there it was, the scamming again. Granted, Gina was the second of two Romani people I had spoken to for this story so far. But here she was, repeating almost exactly what Paulina had told me in the cafe. But Gina wasn't exactly like Paulina. While Paulina was all over the place, I could tell Gina was more confident. Like, she had always thought this. So that's why I'm unique and different. I'm not one of those people who believed it and then all of a sudden was like, oh my gosh, I was brainwashed all this time. I was one of those people that was... I don't understand any of this. Gina said that ever since she was a little girl, she believed that, yes, fortune-telling was 100% a sham. And now, on the record with the reporter, she was relishing the opportunity to prove it. The readings, first of all. Well, most readings are all the same. I could probably recite it. Let's hear it. <laughs> I want to hear what Hold a typical on. reading is. Hold on. Okay, I will. So, if I'm looking at your palm, I would say... First thing I see for you is you're going to live a long life. You have many years ahead of you. You have a good, strong head on your shoulders. You usually know what you're doing at all times. You're a very sensitive person. You feel deeply for the feelings of others. So then the next thing I would say is not too long ago, God, this is coming back, wow. Not too long ago, uh, you had a misunderstanding with someone. This person is sorry and wants to be forgiven. And then I think I would probably say, looks like you're going to be going on a trip pretty soon. Um, And you have questions about the trip, but I'm going to tell you you should go on the trip because it's really good for you to go. At this point, I tried to hide my laugh, but Gina noticed anyway. Are you remembering this from a meeting that you had before? No, this is just really funny. Yeah. I'm going on a trip soon. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Who's not going on a trip soon? That's true. (laughs) I can't say this rocked my world. I didn't really believe anyone could literally tell your future. But what did I know? Plenty of other people believe in it. Or at least they pay for it. And even Gina, the ultimate skeptic, seemed to hint that fortune-telling is more than just a hustle. That there is this element of belief. Huh. How much of people who are within it are actually believing in what they're doing? All of them. All of them, said Gina. And this includes Paulina. And if you really deeply believe fortunes can be told and your fate sealed, it makes it all the more difficult to break away. Ever since that anticlimactic afternoon in court, I was consumed with what Paulina and Gina had told me. I don't know if Paulina had really thought that I'd come, cover the trial, write something up about it, and then we'd never see each other again. Perhaps that I'd totally forget she'd implicated herself in widespread, long-running fortune-telling scams. But 
it seemed obvious that there was something more there than a story about a psychic shop. I felt like a door had been cracked open, and now I wanted to see the whole world behind it, a rare peek that Paulina had given me into a culture that's been intentionally hidden from outsiders. People are telling me, like, we've survived so long by staying out of the media. Like, we've survived in America this way by keeping things hidden. And honestly, I feel like we can survive, you know, not being hidden. And so I knew I had to do some digging. I needed to understand Romani culture, get some perspective here. But getting firsthand accounts from Romani people isn't that easy. Romani culture is a closed culture. You won't find a lot of Romani tell-alls. Talking to the media is seen as pretty taboo. You have to be exclusionist in order to preserve identity. You have to close ranks to prevent infiltration from outside, which doesn't encourage people getting too close, knowing too much. And this also does not make you friends. Okay, yeah, but I would like to consider myself friends with Professor Ian Hancock. Professor Hancock is generally seen in the U.S. as the preeminent source on Romani history. He recently retired after more than 30 years as a professor of linguistics at UT Austin. And at 80 years old, he's still traveling the world, educating audiences on Romani heritage and culture. I mean, the gypsy identity is rife with stereotypes. We all hate stereotypes. But stereotypes have an origin somewhere. Like the fact that Paulina had grown up fortune-telling for as long as she could remember. When I was little, I didn't have much thought about it because it was just all around. Everybody was reading poems and reading cards, every aunt every grandmother, like even the guys, like my grandfather, read poems too. Paulina told me she learned the art of fortune telling almost by osmosis. It's like I wake up in the morning and we're cooking coffee and playing some music and my aunt is like, okay, you know, let's practice your reading. Like here, lay the cards out and tell me, you know, what do they mean? They would practice together for hours, tracing each other's palms and memorizing the meaning of different tarot cards. As a kid, I didn't really think that it was anything out of the ordinary. I didn't really think about it because it's like telling people, you know, what do you think about cereal? Like, well, we always had cereal, you know, it was just natural. When Paulina was a girl, committing these symbols to memory felt sort of like a family game or a hobby. When I was just starting out, it was for fun. Like, (laughs) it was kind of like, you know, if you have ever had like a magic eight ball. But... It was also something more, because in so many ways, fortune-telling can be about health and healing. We don't call it fortune-telling. We call it reading and advising. According to our resident linguist, Professor Hancock, there are actually two words for fortune-telling in the Romani language. There is another verb, which is durika, which actually means divination, fortune-telling, predicting the future. But that's not the word that's used by professional readers and advisors, which is drabarimos. And the drabarni, which Pauline is a drabarni, strictly means healer. 
So the actual translation of the Romani word is healing, not fortune telling. And Paulina was very much raised as a healer, someone who could help people turn their lives around, who could provide comfort and counseling. And her primary teacher was her mother. I do remember clients would come up to me and be like, hey, you know, your mom is really special. Paulina said clients were dazzled by her mom's presence. But most importantly, her uncanny ability to make them feel better. A lot of the times, clients would be friends. Like, we had good relationships, like, with our clients. And there was no better place to practice healing and wellness than California in the early 2000s. This whole New Age thing was happening. There were other spiritual stores in town. And so my mom and aunts or whatever, they'd work with them. Paulina said her mom went beyond tarot cards and palm readings. She also did meditations and energy work like Reiki. It was more wellness-based, maybe a touch more alternative. Paulina got into it too. I was also allowed to do like Reiki, you know, classes and palmistry classes. Paulina said that when she was old enough, starting around 10 years old, she'd sit beside her mom and absorb how her mother read the cards, her use of eye contact, her bold declarative statements. Paulina was hooked. I was totally looking into it and my parents loved it. Like it wasn't something that they really forced upon me. In the beginning, Paulina studied the art of fortune telling whatever way she could. I originally took it very seriously, like as a kid, you know, as serious as a kid could take anything, I guess. Paulina said she'd spend hours going through books on spells and astrology, like a giant dictionary of dream interpretation or psychology for dummies. And my mom had so many books, like she she really did. Like, I, I believe she took it seriously, too. Paulina's mother learned fortune telling from her mother, and her mother learned it from her mother, and her mother and her mother all the way back, back to the very origins of the fortune-telling tradition, back to the origins of the Romani diaspora. Well, first of all, it comes from India. It was brought out of India, where it is a highly regarded, respected means of income. So it didn't have a stigma from the very beginning. Fortune-telling is also a mobile business. Reading cards just requires a deck of cards, right? Crystal balls, stick it in your backpack. So it was a transportable means of income. This is important because from the very beginning of their recorded history, Romani people were forced to move from place to place. It wasn't a genetic wanderlust that we're supposed to have. That's bullshit. Romani people were chased from the moment they first migrated from India, around 1000 AD. The exact reason for their leaving is unknown, but some historians think it was to escape militaries invading India around that time. So Romani people left India and migrated across the Middle East and to Eastern Europe. When they reached Europe, Professor Hancock says, they stood out right away. They were people of color. The church was clear in their belief that whiteness was purity and darkness was sin. So the church had a problem with the first people of color to show up in any numbers. Many Europeans thought these newcomers had arrived from Egypt and were Egyptians, hence the G word, which came to be pejorative. 
Romneys were not Christians. A lot said they were uh, to get by. They had no country. They dressed funny. In the region that is now Romania, hundreds of thousands of Romney people were enslaved for over 500 years. As late as the 1800s, the penal code in the region declared that Romney people are, quote, born slaves. Many were sold off and traded around Europe and other parts of the world. And Romney enslavement wasn't abolished until the mid-1800s, around the same time of the Emancipation Proclamation in the U.S. But even in their freedom, Romney people were met with prejudice everywhere they went. There were many, many laws against Romneys. Including in the U.S., Laws in Oregon, Louisiana, and even California have banned fortune-telling. We'll talk more about that later. But there is a legacy of American laws that directly target Romani culture. A lot of them, just like laws that were in this country, forbidding Romani people to stop, set up a place to live, to establish a business of some kind. People were being chased from pillar to post. If they weren't being killed, They were being driven out across the closest foreign border. The most horrific example of Romney persecution in recent history is, of course, the Holocaust. In Professor Hancock's book, We Are the Romney People, he says that in 1940, the Nazis tested out the poisonous gas they would use in their death camps on 250 Romney children. People simply do not know the details about the fate of Romanis in the Holocaust. It's impossible to know how many Romani people were killed in the Holocaust because of incomplete census data and undercounting. But I've seen a couple estimates that say approximately 1.5 million Roma were killed in the Holocaust. I had no idea. Nobody knows about the slavery, five and a half centuries of slavery that ended at the same time as slavery in this country. Nobody, that's not taught in school. And this history directly connects to Paulina. She's from a subgroup of Romani people who were enslaved in Romania. And Paulina's ancestors were slaves. Six generations ago, maybe five generations ago, they were slaves. Once they were freed, they moved to Serbia, specifically a place called Machwa. That's where the name of Paulina's subgroup comes from, the Machwaya. They regard themselves as the classier gypsies. Classier because Romani subgroups formed around different regions or different traditional trades. Like, there's a subgroup of Romani people who traditionally were coppersmiths. Experts say those skills eventually translated to doing metalwork on cars. Yeah, there's a street in Portland, Oregon, where there are loads of used car lots, and most of those people down there are Romanis. But Machuaya people, along with a few other Romani subgroups, became, by tradition, fortune-tellers. And not only is fortune-telling a mobile business, but it was also something that could be done without formal education in reading and writing. Romani people, and especially Machuaya girls like Paulina, became experts in reading something else, body language and social cues. So they knew how to give people what they wanted. We were also putting a performance on, too. Especially at big events like the annual Renaissance Fair in nearby San Luis Obispo, Paulina's parents would run a booth, complete with the rickety wooden sign. It was so fun because family would come from 
either LA or sometimes New Mexico or Utah, like wherever they were living at the time. And we would dress up like old, you know, gypsies. They would dress in traditional headscarves and coin belts, their arms stacked with gold bangles. The Renaissance Fair is interesting because it's one of the only fairs where I felt like it was okay to dress like a gypsy. But we still wouldn't tell anyone we were gypsies. From the actual Renaissance period to modern-day Ren fairs, Romani people have survived by keeping this air of mysticism around their trade. It's a double-edged sword, a stereotype that has exoticized them and protected them. You know, it's not just this little entertaining, fake, we're going to put a spell on you, hocus-pocus type of thing. Like, this is really what we do for a living. And Paulina says she actually did start doing this for a living at around 12 years old. This was the point when fortune-telling went from just a fun pastime to a job. My mom was just like, I think you're ready. Like, I think I was practicing doing readings with her, and she's like, I think you're ready. You can, you know, go ahead and do it. So Paulina had this in mind one day when she was riding her bike around town, and a beautiful young woman caught her eye. So I gave her a handbill, that's what we call them, but they're flyers, like tiny flyers. And I was like, why don't you come back? Paulina told the woman to meet her back at the family psychic shop. And then she came back and my mom was like, well, you can do the reading since you brought her to the store. Were you nervous then? Yeah, I was extremely nervous. Paulina sat down with the woman and pulled out a stack of tarot cards. And... I was so nervous that I laid the cards out face down. <laughs> and my mom looked at me and she's like, and I'm like, what? And she's like, you got to flip the cards over. And the customer was right there. And then like I read all the cards and the person ended up liking it. Even with the fumble, it was clear Paulina possessed the same gift her mom had. The same natural, intuitive clairvoyance that put people at ease. In fact, the reading ended up going so well that Paulina said the woman became a repeat customer of hers. And Paulina was 12 at this point, and this woman was her first steady customer. But also, she was Paulina's first peek into the inner workings of an outsider, someone from beyond her world. We were told that outsiders will never understand us. And to a certain extent, Faith, like, I do believe that. And maybe this is just ingrained in me, but that's what was told to us. Outsiders have bad intentions. They have diseases. They will never accept you. They will never be on your side. And very early on, that mindset, you know, whittled away. I loved learning new things. And so I was very curious about their thoughts and curious about, you know, their life. And if you want to know about someone's innermost life, fortune telling is an effective way to do it. It's kind of like a low key version of, I guess, not therapy, but, you know, therapeutic sessions, I guess. But Paulina's sessions were way cheaper than any therapist I know. You know, 50 bucks. 30 bucks. And that money was crucial because Paulina said it helped her family stay afloat. A lot of the times, especially when there wasn't like any money, like if someone came for a reading and if I made like $50 or if I made a couple hundred dollars, like just from grinding, that would be our food. Like that would be our light bill. That would be 
um, our survival. And so Paulina did whatever she could to keep clients coming back. I was taught that people can pick up on your desperation. We were taught that if we were desperate, even if we were, people would pick up on that and they would see something and it would scare them away. That's how like deep the psychological training was done that I had to control myself even as a, you know, 15-year-old. Paulina became a master of her own words, what to say and how to conduct herself. There were social cues that we had to follow. They were like, keep your eye on the client. Like, you need to be convincing. And not just convincing. Paulina wanted to be good, wanted to be helpful, to use her gift of intuition to genuinely help people. You know, you want to surprise them. Like, you want to do the best that you can. Like, you do want to connect with them in that first initial reading. And then there's many different goals. Like, you want their friends to come to you. You want them to talk good about you. You do want them to trust you. And for clients to believe and trust her, she needed to believe and trust in her own skill. We needed to believe what we were saying. That was really important because if we were not confident in what we were saying, then the person could see. But as she got older, her confidence started to waver. She was engaging in this ancient practice that's been used for centuries as a way to help people to heal them. And of course, to make a living. And that's where it can get complicated. When it's commercialized and abused. It's the kind of occupation that lays itself wide open to abuse. But Professor Hancock argues fortune-telling is just like any other industry in that way. You could say the same about lawyers. There are excellent lawyers and there are shyster lawyers, right? And it's the same with the readers. If you are good, you will stay in business for years and years and years, and you will get comeback customer clients. If you are bad, if you are a rip-off artist, you won't last long. You'll end up getting arrested. You will be chased out of the community. I spoke to lots of other Romney Americans, including other fortune tellers, who agree with Professor Hancock that yes, there might be some bad actors, but they spoil the reputation and livelihood of all the other good and decent fortune tellers trying to make a living and help people. And as Paulina started to question the ways she was raised, why she was taken out of school or why she had to dress a certain way, she started to fundamentally question the trade she had spent her whole life practicing. There were times where I would really question, of course, like as I got older, like, is this real? Is it not? And those questions just got louder and louder. Are we being deceptive? You know, are we not? Until eventually she sat down at a cafe and told a reporter that she's a scam artist, born and bred. I think around the time that I met you, I just kind of woke up and I was like, whoa, I was being manipulated my whole entire life. But Paulina told me she still finds herself coming back to fortune-telling, like a subliminal, supernatural pull to the cards, even if she's not sure what she believes, even if it changes day to day, year to year. Occasionally, once every, like, couple of years, I'll just pull out one card just to, like, see what it says. Three out of four times that I've done this, it's been like the death card. Don't worry, no one's getting murdered in this story. 
the death card represents like an ending or the death of you and ultimately this blooming or manifestation of some new version of yourself like being reborn and so it's this like grim reaper and then there's this like beautiful rose and it represents like a new beginning paulina was going through a new beginning when we first met in 2019 leaving the romany world for the non-romany world i don't want to reinforce negative stereotypes about gypsies But there are bad things that do happen in this culture, and people need to know about it. By leaving her community, going to the courts, and talking to the press, Paulina was opening up her life to a world of scrutiny and doubt. I think she used the Romani culture as a a sword, so to speak. Woe is me. I'm the victim. I need to get away. The bad guys are after me. I, I didn't buy that at all. Lots of uh, things are said in the heat of a fight to protect and to not lose your children. It's hard for me to support you if I don't know what the fuck you're doing. Helena was a diamond. Now she's just a stone. Do you ever have doubts about sharing your story? I do. Like, I totally do. And I really don't know. I don't know how it's going to be. I don't know if... Once this is released, it'll be a mistake, and I'm scared. But in my mind, I'm speaking to a really small group of people. Like, I'm speaking to my younger cousins. I'm speaking to the girls that I knew and my friends. And the reason why it makes me emotional, because I feel like the people that I want to speak to the most will probably never hear me. But Paulina and I kept talking for years, And although we started talking about the most shocking and bombastic parts of her story, as Paulina and I got to know each other, we peeled back layer after layer together, both of us trying to get to the actual truth beneath the surface, to the place beyond the resentment and the stereotypes. Because it's true of any community, of any identity, that there are stereotypes and there are truths. And while sometimes they can overlap in superficial ways, The whole and deep story is so much richer and more complicated than we could have ever predicted. This is Foretold. Next week, a visit to a small coastal town that gives Paulina a knot in her stomach every time she goes back home. Stay tuned next week to find out what the future holds on Foretold. This episode was created and hosted by me, Faith Pinu, with... Asala Sanapur, Senior Producer. Alex Higgins, Producer. Lauren Rabb, Assistant Editor. Avery Truffleman, Editor. Sue Horton, Editor. Jasmine Aguilera, Executive Producer. Hiba Alarbani, Executive Producer. Dr. Ethel Brooks, Romani Cultural Consultant. Mike Heflin, Audio Engineer. Vadim Kolpakov, Seven-String Guitarist and Composer. Alex PGSB, Composer. Fact-checking on this episode was done by Helen Lee, Lauren Rabb, Asala Sanapur, and myself. Thanks to Shawnee Hilton and Kevin Merida, as well as Abby Fentress-Swanson and Julia Turner. Thank you also to our marketing and creative services team, 
Brandon Sides, Dylan Harris, Carrie Shemansky, and Kayla Bell. I owe a special thanks to my editors at the LA Times, BJ Terhune and Shelby Grad, as well as my editors at The Daily Pilot, Rob Varden and John Canales, for letting me work on this story in my spare time. The news clips in this episode are courtesy of WISN and Miami news station WPLG-TV10. And thank you for listening. <laughs>